Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you! More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all, with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 1039. Today we hear from Rose, who asks, I have two stories told out of order. I've tried rearranging them sequentially, but I literally hate them that way. The first is in three parts, approximately 30,000 words each. Part one is the middle, telling the story of an artist recovering from a life-altering tragedy. That part ends with an even worse tragedy for her to deal with. The second part is her story from the end of high school up to the events of part one. Part three picks up after part one and deals with major tragedy number two. Obviously, it is easy to just put part two first, but it spoils all the mysteries of the main character since it was written after part one as exposition. Story two is even worse. The odd chapters are a linear performance story told over a few months. The even chapters are random flashback chapters that tell the coming-of-age story and usually give context to the surrounding odd odd chapters. I usually work in her age to the first paragraph for the even chapters, but it still confuses first-time readers despite the explicit author's note at the beginning explaining it. Both of these stories were given to me by the muse in exactly this form, total panzer, so I'm hesitant to force them in another direction. I'm not really sure what my question is beyond nonlinear storytelling methods that are successful and why they succeed. I have tried to consume the obviously successful time traveler's wife in every form and always failed to stay interested beyond the first few chapters or minutes. Okay, so for nonlinear storytelling in film, you have to watch... Quentin Tarantino movies. He is a the master. Not the only one to ever do it or do it well, but the master. If you want a classic film that does nonlinear storytelling, if I remember right, I think it's not all in one flashback. I think it's a series of flashbacks that aren't quite linear. It would be Double Indemnity, starring Fred McMurray and directed by um, Billy Wilder. I think it was Billy Wilder. Yeah, it was Billy Wilder. Um, the w- nonlinear storytelling, what makes it work is that the story does not have anything to do with time. If you ever saw, let's say, the pilot episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, that's another experiment in mixing up linear storytelling and nonlinear storytelling. There's a linear plot and a nonlinear plot, and what's even more fun is the nonlinear plot is philosophically nonlinear. It's actually about how the human experience in the mind 
is not linear, but is instead always flittering back and forth and connecting what's happening now to past parts of our lives and future dreams and that sort of thing. The reason nonlinear storytelling works when it works is that it effectively mirrors the way that our minds skip around to make sense of a bunch of events that are disconnected from one another in time and constructs a narrative out of them. The way that you have talked about doing your nonlinear stories sounds pretty good to me. I mean, I haven't read the stories. I don't know how your execution is. If you're confusing your readers, um, you may want to, rather than just working in the character's age, work in stuff that anchors the time period. Music that's on the radio, television shows that are on, the kind of brand new car that her father got or something for the past period so that you, and, and saturate, be sure to saturate the past, whatever the period, with texture. Assuming you are writing a story that is semi um where you're contemporary yeah or where you're separated by eras mm-hmm. um and that and you can do that even in the long past um because even though they didn't have different eras as quickly people did go through one or two major changes in their lifetimes mm-hmm. it was just wasn't one or two major changes every couple of years you really like nonlinear stories and you like time travel stories which i generally don't so this is, you've obviously got some stuff to kick in here, even if you have to dig for it a bit. I like time traveling as a trope. And in particular, I, I like stuff like um, that time travel series from the 80s or Doctor Who or Sliders or mm-hmm. or things like that. Um, I do, I suppose I, I do like time travel a little bit more than you do. That I've said, just I, seen it done perfectly two or three times and I can't stand it when it's done badly. Oh, I hate it when it's done badly. Time travel when it's done badly is is like so frequently a cop-out or a way to finagle an ending that an author wants rather than a organic part of the story. Mm-hmm. That's irrelevant to this question. First thing I think of when I think of a nonlinear story is, is Highlander. Oh, no, there's an interesting one. I hadn't thought about that uh, one. Because there is a story that is told, the current day story is told kind of linearly, but his there's... past story goes, pops around so that y- you don't get a perfectly linear story of his background. It pops around as relevant to what is going on in his current story. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's a good example. I hadn't thought of that. Another way to model nonlinear storytelling in your head is it's like getting to know someone. Uh, Say you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, or Mm -hmm. even really in your teens. You meet someone, you weren't there for their whole past. You don't know where they came from. You take them as they are, and then as you get to know them and see them, you build up a picture of what kind of person they are in your head. And then they get to trust you and they tell you some of their memories and maybe some of their secrets. And this makes the person they are make more sense to you. Right. You, you don't introduce yourself to someone with the, your baby pictures. Right. And, and you certainly don't introduce yourself to someone by a detailed confession of all the worst things you ever did. The only time that ever happens is in encounter groups and cult indoctrinations. Um, I, I, I once had a very weird friend that, yes, that, did. that introduced oh, herself Oh, God, she was way. so creepy. She was so creepy. And, and that's what happens when you introduce yourself with all of your worst points or, or as a confessional outside of, say, going to a confessional or meeting right. your therapist or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
it comes off as very, very creepy. Um, so the key to nonlinearity is that you're filling in the narrative. Whatever the story is about, and you have to know what it's about to do it. If the story is about the development of person X, if it's like a character study of person X and their obsession with Y, then running a linear timeline and a nonlinear timeline together, or running a few different nonlinear stories that gradually converge on the same point can be very, very powerful. But you're going to select those nonlinear anecdotes and scenes in ways that bolster the momentum of the discovery of the main through line of the story. The sense of mystery about who this person is and whatnot, unless that's the point of the story, you don't want to rely too heavily on this mechanic for that. If the question is, how did they get here and what will that tell us about where they're going, that's a whole other thing. That's the getting to know someone type of thing. I, I will say that um, the story being about who this person is can work as the mystery if that is a famous person or a historical person. Or if the pers- I, or if it's a famous figure in the story, like, for example, Kaiser Soze and the Usual Suspects. Right. I, I think of one short story by Roald Dahl where the the story was about a birth and how fraught the the birth was and the characters were not named and the infant wasn't named but at the end of the story you find out that the child that was born is an infamous character in history an infamous real person in history and very suddenly the um joy and relief that you have at the successful birth of this baby and the mother's survival of of this birth and the and the child's survival suddenly turns sour as you realize who this person is Mm -hmm. and and that that's a way that that um discovering who the character is can be very very powerful Another way you can do nonlinear story is through the conversation mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, a good film to check out for this is The Man from Earth. Um, little indie film. It's a, it all takes place in one room. It's a conversation between eight colleagues at work. And one character is telling a story. But the story unfolds in a very nonlinear fashion, um, contained within this larger conversation about large issues in the lives of the characters. Fantastic film. Um, I use this trick quite a lot in Down from Ten, where the char- the pasts of all the characters are very, very essential to um, understanding why the ultimate solution to the mystery is the ultimate solution to the mystery. And those pasts are revealed a little bit in dreams, but mostly through conversations. Um, Now, I'm not saying that you should rewrite your books into conversation books. I'm saying that when you look at at stories that use the conversation mechanic for creating nonlinearity, if you were to take the conversations, recast them as narrative, and put them as flashbacks, it would work just as well for at least the story of forwarding the narrative. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, you may lose some character development in the interplay between the characters, but that can help you get a handle on the sort of logic that it takes to make a nonlinear story pay off really well. One of the big things about nonlinear storytelling is you can play wonderful games with dramatic irony. 
where the audience's awareness and the character's awareness are out of sync. If the audience knows something that the character doesn't, it's suspense. If the character knows something the audience doesn't, it's a holdback. But if the mismatch in knowledge between the character and the audience um, trades off, or even if it doesn't trade off, if the resolution of that isn't an occasion for suspense, but is instead an occasion for epiphany, what you're dealing with is dramatic irony, where um, the expectations of the reader and the characters are mismatched, Mm -hmm. and bringing them into alignment allows for a massive aha, oh, type of feeling. And you can use nonlinear storytelling to great effect, and Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction does exactly that. When you get to the end, and you, you sometimes you have to watch, some people have to watch it a few times, but when you get to the end and you figure out what it's all about, suddenly all the things that didn't make sense about all the little stories and how they were connected really bursts in upon you, and it's glorious. It seems to me a lot of um, mysteries, particularly mystery films, in the last maybe 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. have played with nonlinear storytelling at least as far as the mystery is unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, and often do it badly. Weirdly, the, <laughs> the first couple of seasons of Lost did this really well, structurally speaking. Lost had all sorts of problems, writing problems as a show, but the structure of the nonlinear narratives and how they would pop in the flashbacks at just the right moments. They wouldn't even tell you they were flashbacks. They just allowed you to come along for the ride. That was done extremely well. The problem with Lost is that J.J. Abrams built a mystery box that he then solved, and you can but it's a solution you can only understand if you're into Egyptian and Mayan mythology, which is ridiculous. So, weirdly, I enjoyed it, but objectively speaking, it was a train wreck. I'm trying to come up with more examples of, of good nonlinear storytelling. And um, aside from a Highlander and a few episodes of Doctor Who, there mm-hmm. are a few particular episodes of Doctor Who that are that are told in multiple time mm-hmm. threads, and, and particularly in in the Moffat era. Um, there was uh, time enough for love. That's almost completely non. Well, there there is a linear line, but it's interspersed with many flashbacks that mm-hmm. that paint that solve the mystery of the central mm-hmm. character. Right, and but we're 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 kind of talking about uh, about writing stories that have flashbacks and a non-linear main narrative. Well, we started talking about that, but that wasn't really what she asked about. Mm. Um, she was asking about both of those things, but not necessarily combined. Let's see, there's also reverse linearity, which uh, Mark Twain sort of did the number on with the curious case of Benjamin Button. Mm -hmm. And um, then was later, that mechanic was later picked up by Piers Anthony for Bearing an Hourglass, which was his novel about the incarnation of time. And uh, both of those did that mechanic very well. I had thought about that one, and I think he did a lot of, uh, Anthony did a lot of, the jumping around stories within that within the incarnation series yeah he did because he had characters that weren't strictly bound by time Mm -hmm. and so they're meeting each other at different points in their own histories where they didn't share context and sort of had to sync up yeah um 
It's a really good mechanic to use for eternal characters, because one of the mistakes that people make when they're writing characters that live in a different dimension or live outside of time is they um, assume a basic linearity to their existence that isn't there. But that is getting us rather far afield from just talking about normal stories told in a nonlinear fashion to heighten dramatic impact or to bring forth the, mar the marrow of the ideas in the story. I think we've beat it to death. I think so. Okay. Well, so I, th I think the horse is screaming at us. Well, Rose, thank you very much. This was a really good question, and I hope we did it justice. And if we didn't, or if you have follow-ups, please send another note. And um, we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.